I'm Maureen McGrath, and welcome to the podcast. You have questions about the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, our first guest, Dr. Gurdeep Parhar, has all the answers. Plus, life coach Frida McLaughlin gives us some tips on de-stressing during these cortisol-filled times. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, where I I can actually see Tim now. Hey, Tim, how are you? (laughs) Better now. <laughs> yeah, we're all much better now, aren't we? Isn't the voice better? <laughs> okay, it's about that home studio. <laughs> anyway, back in the studio now. So that was a quick <laughs> break. Okay, thank you to all of you who texted in, phoned in, emailed me about my voice. Just do me a favor, text me again. Let me know if the voice sounds a little bit better now. Um, uh, so anyhow, hopefully you haven't uh, missed the information, but we do have a podcast and uh, I'll probably be repeating some of the things I said anyway at some point. Uh, but right now, taking your questions, uh, of course, all about coronavirus. So COVID-19 is none other than the infamous Dr. Gurdeep Parhar. He's a family physician, professor at the University of British Columbia. Hello, Dr. Parhar. Hello, Maureen. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Oh, good. Um, we, 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 no, we heard, we heard everything fine. We were just worried that it might be a body imposter with uh, <laughs> the voice sounding a little bit different. But, I'm known but, for my voice. Like people can recognize. I don't know what it sounded like, but so many people texted me saying, "This doesn't sound like your voice." And now that's the Maureen I know. <laughs> there we go. Uh, somebody asked me if I was tired. Tired me? Never. Um, but before I uh, we talk, I just want to give uh, the number out to give a call because I'm sure people have questions. one 877 There seems to be a lot of confusion around takeout food, Dr. Parhar. So I'll start off with that question if you can quickly answer that because I think we might have a caller soon. So what is the deal on taking out food? Is it safe? Yes. So taking out food and delivery of food, whether it's cooked or fully um, sort of raw ingredients, is that the biggest risk is actually the person who's, who you're interacting with. So getting food delivered to the home or you're picking it up from somewhere else, the biggest risk is the person you're interacting with. So if you can figure out some way to not do that, so when the delivery person comes, figure out some way to pay them online and tip them online and then ask them to leave the food um, in a particular spot and leave the, leave it for, let them leave, um, that's that's probably the best thing you can do in terms of protecting yourself because then those respiratory droplets won't won't be directly sort of impacting or, or, or touching you. Now, in terms of the rest of the packaging and the food, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of controversy around this. But our best evidence right now is that we think the virus can survive for about a day on cardboard surfaces mm-hmm. and up to three days on plastic or stainless steel surfaces. So let's assume that it's coming in a, a pizza box. So it's coming in a cardboard box. So it, if somebody has the COVID-19 virus and then has touched um, with, with the virus from, from them, they've touched the box, and then are you at risk for touching that box and t- getting it onto yourself? The most important things are after you've brought the box into the house, um, make sure you wipe the box down and wash your hands. And then, and, then, and then take care of the food afterwards. The most important thing is not to touch the box, then to touch your face, your eyes, or your nose. Right, and, and serve it on a plate. I have Jesse on the line from Burnaby. Hello, Jesse. Question for Dr. Parihar. Except probably is a question better directed to a uh, uh, healthcare administrator. Would you happen to know what the cost of testing for um, COVID-19 is to the system? Uh, great question. I actually don't know what the cost of that would be, and we can certainly look that up, Maureen, and, and have that. Um, is is it covered under it. MSP, though? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's definitely covered under MSP. It's no extra cost to anybody who's having the test done. Um, but I thought you were asking what the, what does it cost the system, and, you, and and that I don't know. Yeah. Are you wondering what, what it costs the system, sir? Uh, um, Maureen, I think there are some strange decisions being made because publicly funded healthcare system does not take into account the cost to the GDP. So, for example, right now all the knee and hip replacements are being postponed. I see. Because they don't care what the cost to the patient might be in terms of how productive he or she could be. Uh, we may be saving $2,500 to the system, I'm just guessing. Mm-hmm. And we may be losing $20,000 in GDP unless the case comes from the WorkSafe BC. Now, for example, the decision that's made for isolation, one example is uh, John Tory, the mayor of Toronto. He came from an overseas trip. He was found not to be uh, infected with COVID-19, except he was in isolation for 14 days. Now, if he was willing to, it won't be allowed by the Canadian system. If he was willing to pay for the cost of being tested for COVID-19, the gold standard is two negative tests mm-hmm. 24 hours apart, Right, which means he will isolate himself for two days. He will pay the cost of the testing, $500? I don't know. Right. And then he's productive for next 10 days, except he's forced to isolate himself for 14 days because the publicly funded healthcare system does not care. I, you know, I, I think may, perhaps they might. I mean, it's difficult. No system is perfect. I get what you're saying. And there's going to be lots of societal fallout from this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your call. Jesse, I've got Donnie on the line. Hello, Donnie. Hi, Marine. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Well, you know, considering I'm not doing too bad. Great. That's good. <laughs> um, so I have a question. Um, pregnant women. Pregnant, pregnant women. Yes. Well, my wife is pregnant. Okay. To uh, July 31st. Wonderful. Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting, but I mean, you know, all this right now is kind of taking away a little bit of the excitement. Right. Um, so I, I hear that, you know, the immune systems are stronger in pregnant women when they're pregnant, but I also heard that they're weaker. Dr. Parhar, do you want to address that? I'm not sure I heard the last part of it. Did you say that are they at more risk? Uh, basically, he said that he had heard that the immune systems of pregnant women are stronger, but he's also heard that they're weaker. But his concerns are around his pregnant wife and the COVID virus. So, you know, the so, fact that we're living in this pandemic has taken a little bit of the excitement out of the pregnancy. Totally. I totally understand that. So what the recommendation right now is that for women in their third trimester of pregnancy, so the last third of their pregnancy, um, when they're seeing their obstetrician, their family physician, or their um, midwife, they would be in the category to have a COVID-19 test done. Now, what we've been reassured is that the hospitals, um, if that's where the delivery is going to happen, um, are fully equipped to um, to manage um, women in pregnancy so that they're safe and their partners and everyone else is safe. Um, in terms of your question about immune system, we think that the immune system does go through some changes in pregnancy, um, but rest assured that um, with the proper testing and the proper care, um, she hopefully won't be at any um, additional risk because of the COVID-19. And, and to date, there have been no cases where there has been transmission from a pregnant mom with COVID uh, to her baby. Is that correct? Yes. So that's our understanding right now is that the, baby, the, the born, newborn baby doesn't get it from the mom. But having said that, the newborn baby's immune system is pretty vulnerable because he or she hasn't been exposed 
um, and doesn't have some built up the immune um, sort of defense systems. So the baby themselves afterwards is is vulnerable, like all new babies are. And uh, yes, but they would have some immunity from their mother um, after birth, and and it also breastfeeding also may help, helps but with, helps with that. Yeah. yeah, breast is best, but fed is good too. <laughs> Does that answer your question, Donnie? Okay, we lost Donnie. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. Same to you. Okay, excellent. So, Dr. Parhar, um, also in this day and age, oh, do we have an, we have Tony on the line. Sorry. Hey, Tony. Hello. How are you? Um, just um, serious. Thank you. Uh, it's coming from. Um, even my mother was a nurse. Uh, my grandmother was a nurse. It was just, yeah, a line of nurses. I can't thank you enough. Oh, that's so sweet. I know the nurses, especially the nurses on the front lines, and I, you know, full disclosure, I am not on the front lines. Dr. Parhar is in his office. I mean, I've, I've actually gone all virtual for mine, and I actually manage some other sites. So, um, but at this time, yeah, full marks for anybody on the front lines. I heard from somebody the other night, even in one of the hospitals where it's quiet, you know, it said it's eerily quiet as though they're waiting for, you know, this big explosion. So... But, yeah, um, and, and, and I couldn't I couldn't agree with him more and more. Um, not just the not just the extra risk they're putting out themselves to in this situation, but incredible hard hours and emotional um, sort of exhaustion and turmoil that they're going through. Um, you know, they, they are heroes. For sure. and, and lack of supplies, lack of facial masks, lack of eye shields, gowns, gloves. Um, you know, I, it's a constant. Um, you know, issue trying to get supplies and ordering supplies. I cannot tell you how many supplies I've ordered in hopes that they will come in. And I've heard of, you know, some nurses, you know, seeing masks locked down in an office and not having access to them. So yeah, it's it's a heartbreak and, and huge shout out to all the frontline workers and, and their families as well, because their families are going through particular stress also. So, yeah, great. Maureen, if I could just quickly make a comment. The, the mm-hmm. one caller who was asking about um, the, the cost to society and the two negative tests that need to be done. I just want to explain that there's a bit of a clarification there. So we're not actually asking for two negative tests 24 hours apart to say that you've recovered from the COVID-19 if you've had it. What we're asking is that 10 days after you on, the onset of your symptoms, if the fever is gone and the cough is minimal to almost gone, we, we treat that as a recovered COVID-19 case and that you can go back to your normal activities. So you don't need the two negative tests 24 hours apart like we were earlier on when the, when the pandemic started. Right, absolutely. And, and that fever is without fever reducers. So your fever is down um, without having taken uh, acetaminophen. Uh, that's right. Yes. All right, excellent. So who should be going to the emergency department these days, Dr. Parhar? Um, even they are quite stressed and, and quite pressed. Absolutely. So what we're saying is that, and this is, um, it's on the self-assessment tool from the bccdc.ca website, and people who should be calling 911 or going to emergency is if you're having difficulty breathing, you're having severe chest pain, you're having a hard time waking up, you're feeling confused, and you're losing consciousness. So, I mean, regardless of what the cause is, if you're having any of those symptoms, you should be calling 911 and you should be, and or going to the emergency room. Now, if you're having milder symptoms like um, shortness of breath, 
um, difficulty lying down and or you have some other health conditions, then call the, not 911, but the 811 number and get some advice on what you should do. But but the but the first symptoms I listed there are the reasons that you'd be going to the emergency room. And you're right, Maureen, we don't want to be taxing our hospitals any more than they're already um, sort of trying to deal with everything. I have Dr. Gurdeep Parhar. He is a family physician and on the faculty at the University of British Columbia. He's on the line answering questions. Thanks so much for hanging on the line, Dr. Parhar. I do have a caller. I have an emailer who said she wants you as her doctor. Okay, that was Sherry. (laughs) And now I have Robin from Edmonton on the line. Hello, Robin. Hi, Maureen. I'm hoping you can answer a question. I have a a couple pairs of disposable gloves, and I'm wondering if I can um, disinfect them and keep reusing them for the odd time when I do go out to do shopping or something. Can I just put them in disinfectant? Well, Dr. Parher, I'll, I'll have your answer on that because in normal times, the answer would be no. Um, what do you think, Dr. Parher? I, and as you said, uh, Maureen, uh, we're not in normal times right now. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, you're right. Normally, those are one use only and we dispose them because it's very, very difficult to clean those or sterilize those. Um, but having uh, knowing that there's a shortage everywhere right now, uh, you know, what are your options? Are not to use the gloves or to use them and not be disinfecting them. So if you've only got the two pairs, um, I would suggest after you finish using them, do try to disinfect them if you're going to use them again. Um, ideally, you would have access to more gloves so that this, you wouldn't have to keep cleaning them like this. And, and use hot water because as we, if you were listening to the program earlier, we learned that uh, this virus is susceptible to hot water, so at least above 25 degrees Celsius. Um, Thank you, Robin. Now, Dr. Parr, I wondered, what do you think of um, like wearing winter gloves, which are far more fashionable than the blue rubber ones I have on right now? <laughs> the winter gloves may be even harder to uh, disinfect and clean. And knowing how expensive your leather gloves are, I wouldn't want to put uh, no, Lysol no. on them. Uh, I have my Olympic uh, with a, they have a they have a maple leaf on them. I have some white gloves with a maple leaf. It was for a girls' weekend, and uh, yeah, I just tossed them in the wash afterward. But it does provide for a heck of a lot more laundry. I have Arthur from Edmonton on the line. Hello, Arthur. Hello there. Uh, love your show, by the way. Oh, you're sweet. Thank my- you. My question is if, uh, like, I got a family of five, and if one of us was to get in, it's fairly mild, the myself, wife, kids, whoever, and went home, what's the typical procedure for that with the other people around? Do you want to take that, Dr. Parhar? And, and I'm not sure I caught the end of it. Did you say mild symptoms? Mild symptoms. If one of the one of the family of five got sick and, and yeah. had to be in the home. Yeah, so you know what, I would I would treat it as if, uh, given the world that we're in right now, treat it as if it is a, a mild case of COVID-19, just to be the abundance of caution, which means what do we do when we get um, COVID-19 or any sort of flu? Lots of rest, lots of fluids. Um, if there's a fever, use acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol. And for everyone else in the house, uh, the one person that's sick would do that, then everyone else should just what we call monitor their symptoms and make sure they don't get any symptoms. And um, just stay at home um, and get lots of rest. Now, the other people in the family, just to be clear, don't need to self-isolate because the one person's sick. They just need to watch watch their own symptoms. And if they get any symptoms, then they would have to also self-isolate. Because we don't know if that one person is a true COVID-19 case or is it just, you know, some random community flu, that doesn't mean the entire family of five would have to self-isolate based on that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arthur. And I have Gerald on the line from Vancouver. Hello, Gerald. 
yeah, I was uh, curious if, uh, doctor, if there's a test or will be a test to see if, uh, if you've had the virus or if you've developed antibodies for the virus. Great question. Yeah, so thank you for that. We're not there yet, but I can imagine that that's probably where we would be headed. So let me just tell you, as a family physician, if somebody comes in and says, I'm not sure I've had the chicken pox, but, I, um, but I'm not sure I want the chicken pox vaccine or the varicella vaccine, but you know what, I, I want to know if I've had it in the past or I'm immune to it. I can do a blood test, an antibody test, to see if they're safe from that. I can see that probably unfolding in the future. Having said that, though, um, usually the risk for vaccinating, even if you've had the infection already, is, is not that great. So let's say you're not sure. Um, one needle poke to find out if you have the antibodies and you're safe. Another, another needle poke to just give you the vaccine once, hopefully within a year that it's developed. My suggestion would be just to get the vaccine um, when it's available. So I'm not sure you even need to check your antibody levels. I think we would be checking antibody levels in people that are in high-risk groups, like, for example, healthcare workers or somebody else. But for the average person in the population, I'm not sure you would need to do an antibody test. I did think I saw something that said that there were some antibody tests being tested around the first, or coming first of April. Are we, uh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we've got more callers on the line. We can't get to them. Wendy from Edmonton. Uh, do we have time, Tim, or no? No time. Dr. Parhar, thank you so much for the great information. Really appreciate it. And uh, love you to ha- love to have you back next week. Great, great, great morning. Great talking to you. And I'm, I'm glad you sound like yourself again. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for your patience this evening (laughs) and being with me uh, this evening. It's always my pleasure to be with you. And I'm delighted to have on the line with me in part because I think a lot of us are stressed or experiencing stress or anxieties that we've never faced before. So I'm delighted to have Brita McLaughlin of Brita McLaughlin Coaching and Associates. Inspire yourself. Love your life. You got that? She is a Vancouver Leader of the Year 2010, women of recipient of Women of Worth, certified co-active life coach for 17 years, and an organizational relationship systems coach, and a mentor and trainer and licensed relationship coach. Good evening, uh, you little stress and anxiety expert, you. <laughs> I could have, Tim and I could have used you about an hour ago. <laughs> I think you did pretty well. I didn't know if you had a severe case of the hiccups or what had happened. <laughs> it was all the quarantinis <laughs> that I've been. <laughs> oh, you, you handled it well. Oh. I was like, I got to go. I'm going downtown. I'll be back. <laughs> I heard. Wow. 18 minutes. Flash. Oh, well, that's adaptability From right one Desk, from one desk to the next and parking yeah. and hopefully I didn't get a parking ticket <laughs> like some of the nurses I heard that some of the nurses are getting ticketed after extending their shifts and they're getting parking tickets so um oh that's just wrong it's terrible to city on that one I know absolutely well so I wasn't stressed today earlier when you spoke to me <laughs> <laughs> Just a tiny. No, I really wasn't. You know why? Because I had I backup. You. I had backup plans. I always have Plan B. Tim and I had Plan B, C, D, and we implemented all of them. 
<laughs> this evening. So, but it's not unusual for people to feel stress and anxiety and depression and irritability and hating their spouse. And I've had so many messages from patients. I want to kill my husband or I want to kill my wife or how are we going to make this happen? I heard this is going to last until June. I heard this is going to last six months. I don't think the marriage is going to last that long. So also people being stressed about being the teachers for their children. And, you know, they're now the child care workers and the um, hoping to earn some money if they can join the gig economy. Mm-hmm. You know, turning, you know, a lot of lives have been turned upside down, not to mention finances are a big issue for people. And, and so abuse in relationships is on the rise. Addiction and alcoholism, we're going to see so many, so much societal fallout from this. And anxiety seems to be at the core of it. And so you're an expert here, not me. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Well, what I say is the time is now to figure out what anxiety is and how to manage it because uncertainty is the biggest trigger for it and we are in uncertain times. That is for certain. That's the only thing I know for sure. We are in uncertain times and so people need to understand what anxiety is. It is really just a loop of worry thoughts that we get hooked into in our mind and we catastrophize and go to the worst case scenario You know, what if my kids get sick? What if I get fired? What if I can't handle this? Um, I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to get sick. And when we get into that loop, we have to do something about it. Exactly. And so what is it that we need to do? What do we need to do? You know what? It's actually quite simple as long as you practice it regularly. So what you need to do is activate that observer self in your mind and really start to hear how you talk to yourself, hear that critic or that fearful voice inside. And rather than collapsing into it and letting it just go on replay over and over and over again, step back and name it. So really it's just two easy steps. Notice that anxiety talking when you have all of those worst case scenario fears and thoughts. Step back and name it. Oh, that's anxiety talking. The second you step back and name it, you individuate from it, and it loosens some of its power over you. So those would be the first two steps. From there, uh, what we do is scrutinize it. Anxiety, as I mentioned, is really worst-case scenarioing. It's uh, forecasting into the future all sorts of awful outcomes, telling ourselves we're not capable and that we're not safe. And once we step back from it, we need to scrutinize those thoughts and we need to go to facts. So rather than defaulting to fear, we need to ask ourselves, are all those thoughts I'm having factual, yes or no? And if the answer is no, which probably 95% of the time it is, we can just take a moment in our minds or even just write a list. I call it a fear dump. Write down five of the fears that you're having. And they might be as simple as, I can't cope with this. I'm not going to be able to handle this all the way to, I'm terrified my, you know, grandmother is going to get sick and die and I'm not going to be able to help her. And once you write those down, first of all, again, there's power putting your fears down on paper. You gain perspective from that. You, you download them from your mind and you actually get physical distance from them. And then from there, you reframe them. And you reframe them with thoughts that you can choose that are realistic, more factual, uh, more encouraging, and more helpful. So rather than, I really can't cope with this, you really do need to tell yourself, I can handle this. I'm capable. Perhaps one step at a time, I can figure it out. 
in regards to a grandmother. Check out really what your facts are. Perhaps you have a grandmother in a care home. That's It's very, very scary. It is upsetting. But tell yourself what you do know. Figure out how they're being taken care of and remind yourself of those facts. She's safe in a secluded place. She has her own kitchenette. Meals are being delivered to the to the door. We are delivering her groceries. She's right. not in contact with anybody. Once you hear some of those more factual thoughts in your own mind, more compassionate thoughts, you will notice your body calm down. So I had a patient who has come back from New York City, one of the, if not the epicenter, being closely followed by New Orleans in the U.S. And she is able to work from home and um, she's back here and she was in isolation and and did all of the right things. Um, But, you know, she's been a little bit anxious or, or had been that she was going to be called back. Uh, to New York City and didn't want to, uh, you know, have to go back there um, at this time and, and is not really sure sure when. So it is that fear of that unknown um, mm-hmm. that is occurring. What would you recommend for her? For her, first of all, I mean, th- that's a significant fear. You know, getting on a plane, first of all, they're not, you know, most governments are not recommending going back into, you know, what I would call a hotbed of uh, corona right now. Um, that would, you know, that that even presents sort of a real fear. Um, she could be presented with a, you know, a risk to her health. I think the first thing she needs to do again is uh, is breathing. We've talked a little bit about how to reframe your thoughts. Um, I would imagine that her fear her fear is fairly high. If you if you rate your fear one out of ten, ten being panic. If you're anything from about a seven and above, you need to start with some breathing because you won't even be able to think about what you're thinking because now, your your body is so your nervous system is so heightened. Now I must tell you, she's also having a little bit of complex PTSD because she was in an emotionally and verbally abusive relationship, and mm-hmm. so that has ended. And you know, and then the coronavirus hit, and and so. Um, you know, she's gone through a fair bit, but she's incredibly resilient and, you know, like she's really come through something significant. But but for somebody facing complex issues, so finances and, and the kids and they're working from home and their spouse lost their job, it's difficult for them to even take a deep breath. It is, but it's absolutely necessary. Stress has us speed up. That's the automatic reaction. And what we really need to do is slow down. We can't really control everything around us, but we can 100% control how we respond to it. Doesn't make it easy, but absolutely. If she's, you know, if she is suffering from some PTSD, she could have some panic triggered. The very first thing she needs to do, which is easy, uh, it's doable. Um, is just take two releasing breaths. That, so that would be breathing in through your nose for four seconds and exhaling out your mouth for five, six, or seven seconds. The key is to have your exhale longer than your inhale and have almost like a, what I call an open mouth sigh breath, so something like this. We can hear you. <sighs> and okay. do not be shy to make noise. So she would do two releasing breaths, and even with that, she will notice her body start to calm. Perhaps she has a tight neck or she's got fluttering in her arms or legs. 
from there, she would want to do some type of vibrational breathing. I do this with all sorts of clients that have PTSD, and a lot of us will have fears triggered by this virus that will um, trigger a core fear, which is what you've just talked about with this client. If you do vibrational breathing, it will help regulate your nervous system. So you could do something called the S-breath, which was actually created by a good friend of mine, the composer Julie Blue, who's a great composer and musician in Vancouver. That's where you breathe into the count of four after you've done your two releasing breaths, and you exhale to the sound of S, like you're making a hissing sound of a snake. So you would inhale for four through your nose. You would exhale to the sound of S to the count of seven like this. I think I just did it. That was good. You did. And make sure what you can do is use your fingers to count to seven. Mm-hmm. Notice at the end, you always want to integrate your breath. At the end of that, just take a quiet, relaxing breath, close your eyes, and notice what's happened to your body after you've taken that action. Notice if it's settled a little bit. If you feel a little bit dizzy, you may have pushed out your breath a little bit too hard. This is really a soft and slow S breath. So breathing in for four, and then you're breathing out that stress with an S breath to the count of seven, eight, or nine. Do three sets of those every hour on the hour for the rest of the day. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. My guest is Brita McLaughlin. She is a stress and anxiety expert. Thank goodness, because Tim and I both had a fair dose of that, each of that tonight. <laughs> but we pulled it off. Tim, we did it. It's been a night. It's been a night. <laughs> Sunday night. Oh, what a night. Late December, back in 60th. Okay. Uh, Brita, there we go. Yeah. People are stressed, and the relationships are going to suffer. They say in a crisis or a pandemic, it's likely that the divorce is on the rise. So the divorce lawyers, they might not be doing any business right now, but they will be. So get ready for that. Um, but how does a couple navigate the unimaginable, uh, which is working from home with your spouse, maybe not, maybe having financial issues, the kids are home 24-7, somebody's isolated, maybe somebody's sick, you're worried about the parents. I mean, it, sometimes it just seems all too overwhelming. Yeah, I I met a lot of clients in that position last week. And keeping in perspective, they do have jobs, which is, you know, they're lucky and and they're aware of that. But boy, the stress is real. Um, I think it's just an opportunity, really, to practice conscious relationship. And, And that really is, you know, there's an old saying, you can't be in right relationship with somebody else unless you're in right relationship with yourself. So being very, very self-aware. Well, how much, how much does saying, I am one of the really lucky ones, how much does that help? And, mm-hmm. and yet people maybe forget that or, or will say that that doesn't matter. I mean, people have said that to me. They're like, no, that doesn't matter. And I know everybody looks at their own problems in their own way. Well, I, I think what happens, it's really difficult to, to look at um, feeling lucky until you validate what your fears are. So, I mean, they first have to go to, to legitimizing what their fears are, and everybody has legitimate concerns, for sure. Once I found that people who are working at home, once they are able to um, legitimize their fears of, uh, you know, not being able to be as productive, having to work with a spouse that might be driving them crazy, and they understand that their health, their physical health is not at risk, they start to get perspective. But, 
you know, it is tough. I had a lot of young clients last week who work full-time or now at home with toddlers where their nannies um, are no longer coming, their grandparents perhaps uh, were the caregivers, so they're having to work full-time and they're having to take care of their kids. So, I mean, the first thing you have to do is just cut their list in half, bottom line, lower their expectations, uh, get rid of the perfectionism and understand that the whole world is reducing its productivity. So they, you know, they really keep things in perspective. And then from there, they really need to practice relationship skills, which we can all use. We should have been taught these in high school instead of, you know, I learned a lot about volcanoes. I wish I'd learned more about how to be in relationship when I was in grade 10, 11, and 12. So um, there's, some, there's some fun tips that I can review for you, if you like. Sure. And I don't want to forget about people who are really struggling out there financially. So, you know, a single mom, three or four kids, mm-hmm. no job, no money coming in. Uh, that anxiety has got to be through the roof if they have one over their head or if they're worried about eviction. Now, I know that that's been put on hold and and you can't evict, but certainly people are getting those notices as well. So um, getting to those people, you know, how, how does one manage that stress level? Again, it's all about keeping perspective, doing a lot of breathing, which sounds so sort of rote, but using your breath to keep your body calm is a way to move through the day. They've got to learn to ask for help everywhere and any way they can. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying proactive. A lot of people freeze when they're in fear and get paralyzed. You've got to stay in action. Small steps every day. Have a plan of who you can ask for help. Stay connected and get out and get that help. Right, which is tough. And, and you know, for some people, I mean, they're facing food banks, mm-hmm. quite frankly. You know, they may have gone from a profession, professional job, the relationship maybe didn't last, they have no food for their kids, they have no money coming in, they're behind on their bills. And so it's a, it's a whole new world for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, this is, uh, I guess what we really have to remember here. Um, is that everybody has gone through struggle in some shape or form in their lives, and we have gotten through it in some shape or form. So you've got to remember your strengths. You've got to keep your wits about you. You've got to ask for help um, and do what you can. Yeah. Um, in terms of the working professionals, you know, their, their situation is more relational. Mm-hmm. You know, how do they keep the peace? Um, and that's and what really, were those tips you were going to give? Mm-hmm. Uh, lightening up, you know, having an attitude, for instance, around mistakes, you know, using a lot of humor, humor actually, there's all sorts of studies that show that, you know, humor is a, is a great relationship skill. If someone makes a mistake in the house, don't go in for the kill, say ta-da, you know, if you can't say ta-da, if that's a stretch for you, maintain a neutral attitude, just say, oh, well, to every mistake, oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. If someone's upset with you and kind of verbally attacking you, really try to stay open. Ignore their delivery. Everybody is stressed at this point. And try to stay open to influence, which is look for the 2% you can get behind uh, of their message. Even if in your mind 98% of it is off base, look for the 2% of their message that you can get behind and support because everybody wants to be supported. I had a fun, uh, some, a colleague of mine mentioned something today that they were telling their clients, which I got a kick out of, and that was um, let the small stuff go. If you're in a family, you know, I currently have four family members in the home 24-7, which never, ever happens, and all sorts of things, you know, don't get finished. 
um, find an imaginary scapegoat. Herbert, the pool boy, didn't you know get those dishes right again? Shame on him. So we're not blaming family members. <laughs> Keep your humor. Um, what else? You know, less talk is more. There's another thing that you can do. People tend to get very riled up, as I said, in stressful times. They want to talk a lot and work things through. I would say now is the time not to talk incessantly. Find physical gestures to make up for things. We have something called a makeup ritual in this family where we would use a physical gesture. This started when I was going through menopause. My son was going through hormones and everybody was going berserk. And rather than, you know, when we would sort of have a meltdown, rather than having to recap the whole thing we would just look at each other and do the you know when et points his finger out and says et go home Mm -hmm. we would just point her point her fingers at each other and say hormones oh awesome information brita thank you so much you're going to come back next week we're going to do a little exercise this week to lower my stress levels and i'm going to tell everybody about it so i really appreciate you being on the show thank you so much and for everything that you're doing and everybody please stay well stay safe stay calm and carry on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.